welcome. The whole service is about Man of La Mancha, so <laughs> this is your chance to leave. <laughs> also, we did find out one of the things Rebecca does without uh, me thinking about it, which is put the fans back here so that the musicians <laughs> are not uh, frying. Last week when I was writing prayers for church, I found myself slipping back into a bad habit something one of my seminary professors had tried to break us of. It was a class about writing for worship, and one of our books pointed out the anemic prayer language of a lot of progressive ministers. Lots of, let us do this, and help us do that. Or as I started to write last week, may we, blah, 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 blah. Our professor pointed out, and you've probably heard me pray those prayers. I try not to. Our professor pointed out what those kind of prayers suggest about who we think God is. That God exists just to kind of help us do what we can basically do ourselves. Or to let us do what we would be doing already if God would just stop holding us back already. The God of those prayers is kind of small and powerless, whether we mean them to be or not. That God is more or less inconsequential, and those prayers are just reminders of what we need to accomplish on our own, kind of a, a mental to-do list of how to be a good person. And instead, in this book, they suggested that we should write prayers with vigorous verbs, and the two examples I remember were using verbs like pursue and defeat, which frankly are a little too vigorous for me. <laughs> a little melodramatic. I cannot really imagine praying for God to pursue or defeat anything here. If help us prayers suggest a God who is small and powerless a pursue and defeat god sounds like someone wearing a suit of armor and like riding out in defense of our honor with a little scarf from us sounds like a man of la mancha god and i just want to say i knew this show was a little hokey when i picked it or if i hadn't known the look on every person's face when I said that we were doing Man of La Mancha this week would have told me. I realize it's kind of an embarrassing show to like, even though I do like it. And having watched the movie for the first time this week, I'm more embarrassed than I ever have been. It has all the things people hate about musical theater. These big, broad characters, these cheesy slapstick moments and that thing where a character is talking at the beginning of a sentence but singing by the end of it? Why do I follow him? Well, because, um, I like him. <laughs> I really like him. Just that song itself makes it a terrible show. But <laughs> beyond just being a bad show, it's also embarrassing on a deeper level. And especially embarrassing, it turns out, to preach on it. Because that man of La Mancha God, that's what people already think church is. Or what I'm worried they already think church is. Don Quixote says, religion is knight errantry. 
And I think for lots of smart, sophisticated people, that's how they think of it. Like the same delusional quest he believes he's on. That's how they think of, of us, church folks. Whether you identify that way or not, you're here on a hot day. They think of us the way Quixote talks about his friends, people whose illusions are very real. A lot of smart, progressive people who don't go to church, they think it's all impossible dreams and imagined enemies, melodrama and miracles. It's an escape from reality. Seeing what you want to see instead of seeing what truly is. It's talking to someone who isn't there and telling the story of your life as some valiant quest, telling the story of life as some cosmic struggle between love and death. It's tilting at windmills and it's embarrassing. I like to think I'm a smart, rational person. Don't laugh. And I am a person of faith. I believe in science. I get itchy when people talk about miracles. I think you can accept all that we have learned from human reason and still believe there's something more to life. And I also work to try to make faith more credible, maybe a little less supernatural. I believe God is present in each of us and in every moment. But I'm not always sure I could say how or to what degree God takes action in any given moment. I do believe that life is ultimately a struggle between love and death, between good and evil. But I don't talk about it at, at dinner parties or anything. When I pray, I'm much more likely to ask God to help us work for justice than I am to call on God to defeat the enemies of love. That's true most weeks. That was true last week. But then this week, I found myself out in the deep water. This week I had the privilege of spending time and trying to care for a couple people who are just barely keeping their heads above the waves at this moment. People who are being pursued by their trauma. People who feel defeated by depression and death. This week I got a text from a friend that said, can you tell me something truthful about God being bigger than all the things I had to go through? Some moments now the pain feels so big in my body it is absolutely unbearable. Most weeks I can get by with prayers that God will help me do something or let me do something. Most weeks I'm happy to be reminded of things I can do all on my own. But this week I was reminded how anemic those prayers sound in the face of real suffering. How little help they are when you're drowning. This, this week I remembered what it's like to need a God who is big and vigorous, a God who will pursue and defeat and guard and defend and uphold and vanquish and avenge and heal and console and save and rescue and resurrect. 
This week, I was reminded what it's like to feel helpless and hopeless and have to use all of your energy to call on a big, embarrassing God. Ezekiel is in the valley. I sometimes forget that about this story. Most encounters, most encounters, a lot of encounters with God happen on the mountaintop. But this story happens in the valley, down deep. His people have been defeated, and not just defeated, but decimated. They're not just dead now, they've decayed, their bones are dry and desiccated. He knows it's too late to ask for help. There's nothing they can do for themselves anymore. They don't have selves anymore. They're utterly hopeless. And God shows them to Ezekiel and asks the prophet, Mortal, can these bones live? The rational answer is no, of course not. It's impossible. And the faithful answer is yes, of course, with all things God, for, for God, everything is possible. But Ezekiel is stuck between the two, too hopeful to say no and too smart to really get his hopes up. He's too embarrassed to believe that God could actually be big enough and real enough to save him, but too in need of saving to believe to let himself believe that God could be small and inconsequential. So he hedges his bets and only says, oh God, you know. I struggled to write this sermon this week. <laughs> Stuck in between the two, embarrassment and faith. I have more outlines of possibilities of this sermon than of any sermon I have ever preached. I spent 16 hours staring at blank pages this week trying to not have to preach this sermon to you. I think maybe in the end I knew it would come out kind of hokey, confessing my belief in a big, embarrassing God. And when I'm struggling with a sermon, trying to figure out what to write or trying to avoid writing what I know I should. Sometimes I open up the notes app on my phone because occasionally I leave myself notes of good ideas for sermons, quotes I like or, or thoughts that come to me in the shower where the best thoughts do. It's hard to have something worth saying every week, so if I find something worth saying, I, I try to record it and find a week to say it in. This week, when I was sitting there, I found a line from a poem by W.H. Alden that I wrote down two years ago this month. I'd come across it in some book. It was the only good thing in the whole book. It said, nothing can save us that is possible. Which kind of rides that line between hopeful and hopeless. If anything can save us, it will have to be impossible. But it seems like Auden believed in it. 
I looked it up, and it's from the Advent section of this long poem of his for the time being. The full stanza says, we who must die demand a miracle. How could the eternal do a temporal act? The infinite become a finite fact. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. It sounds a little hokey, or at least irrational, to believe that something more could exist beyond the possible, to think that God could act in any given moment. It sounds melodramatic, something for smart, progressive people to avoid. Until you're down in the valley, staring at very dry bones. Until you're treading in deep water and the pain is unbearable. Until the week comes when you're beyond any hope, beyond any effort of your own. When every dream you had of saving yourself is impossible. It's too embarrassing a prayer to pray, too foolish a hope to trust until you need it. And then, thank God, it's true.